You hear me? There, I'm on. I'm on. We're live. Now we can go. Good to see you all here at the Eugene Church of Christ this morning. So thankful for all of you who are joining us, uh, regulars and irregulars or visitors, all of that. Um, I think we had a good week last week with uh, Lanny being here, and I thank you for the time I got to go see uh, my grandmother. So here, here we are celebrating her 95th birthday, my gram there, and uh, my mom's sister, my aunt and uncle there, and that's my sister, Gretchen, and we had a great time. So uh, uh, at one point my mom asked grandma, uh, how old do you think you are, mom? She said, I'm not sure. And, I, and my mom said, you're 95. And my grandma said, I'm 95? <laughs> Holy smokes. I got a good gram. I've got a good gram. Uh, two things that I wanted to uh, bring up as we get going this morning. Uh, church family camp retreat thingy. March 1st through 3rd. 2024. This is just mark your calendar. Start thinking about that. Uh, it's going to be at the Oregon Christian Convention Center in Turner. We got it for a great deal. We're still figuring out the venue. If you have ideas about that, if, we, if you're an organized person and would like to help with that, that would be a wonderful thing. We're going to need some cooks, uh, someone who can kind of spearhead this. Um, I can help figure out speakers or the direction that we want to go with it. But I think it would just be a good thing for us to, all of our facilities are there, uh, beds for all kinds of people, so, and uh, I think we as a church could, could use that bonding time together in a different kind of setting. Uh, church memory verse program, I need help organizing this and leading this, ideas for announcing it, getting involved in it, people to sign up, how do we track it, accountability. Uh, I've already been asking for the congregation to give memory verses that you think some of the most important verses are to have committed to memory. Um, I want to do this together as a church, and I want to be intentional about it. I can't lead it all myself, and I'm asking for help with these things. Will you consider helping me? In my mind, that uh, memory verse uh, program is so crucial. Uh, a diaconia kind of work of the church that is, is something that we really need and could use help with. So, something to think about and pray about. And now, today, we are starting a new series. Dun, dun, dun. Da, 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 da. Drum roll, please. JP's already done with me. He's protecting young Seamus's ears from this loud guy up here. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Why Deuteronomy? Of all the books that we could choose in the Bible, this is the first series that I've preached from uh, the Old Testament, I think, since I've been here. I mean, I've referred to it a lot, but why dig into Deuteronomy? It has commands that don't make sense to us. We're not sure to how to understand all those commands. Uh, it shows a wrath of God 
in ways that seem difficult to reconcile with uh, the way of Jesus Christ. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy, it invokes curses on God's people. Why would anyone want that? Can't we just forget about that, put that away, tuck it in there, and move on? But let me ask you this. Have any of you been discouraged in this room by what is taking place in the world these days? Does it feel heavy to you? Things that feel dark? You know, I look at my news feed and Ukraine, what's going on in Israel? Some people don't even know all the the stuff that's happening in Sudan right now. I think about the political climate of our own country, how polarized things are how angry people seem. Uh, A lot of people are disillusioned by uh, our politicians uh, who all claim to be in it for the good of our country, and yet somehow it seems to feel like from the, the very bottom to the very top, everyone just seems to be in it for themselves sometimes. I know that that's a particularly jaded view, and uh, that there are a lot of good people trying to do good things in this world. But sometimes the world just doesn't feel safe to us. Uh, When you interact with a stranger in the public, can you assume that that person is moral, that they're going to treat you with integrity, that they're going to treat you with respect, that they will just have a level of kindness to you? We all have experiences where that's happened, and we all have experiences where that has definitely not happened. You know, when I was a kid, I used to tear around the neighborhood from before I could ride a bike. And then when I got old enough to keep my balance on my little BMX dirt bike, I was off all over the place. You know, I didn't have the kind of boundaries that I, myself, as a parent, set for my kids. It's like I was turned loose. And yeah, not everything was safe, and, but figure it out, be back before dinner time, or be back before dark. And I was out everywhere in that neighborhood into all kinds of fun, mischievous little things. I don't think a lot of parents feel safe to do that with their kids today. Their pockets in the country and stuff like that. Then look at what is going on in your own heart. When I look at my own heart, I've really been examining myself as I'm talking about holiness from Deuteronomy. Do you have secret sin in your life? Do you have secret sin in your life? Are you portraying something when you're here in this setting, but you know very well the reality of your life and your heart? Do you come here to church week after week and still continue on with things that you very well know are against the will of God? 
And so in doing that, you mock the name of Jesus. It's a form of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, maybe. And yet we get used to it. And we're very hard on other people and very gentle with ourselves. And we don't like to be challenged on our stuff. The book of Deuteronomy, it's challenging. It's tough. It's not wishy-washy in any way. Think of it this way. In a world of compromise, distraction, deception, secret sin, and absolutely no fear of the Lord whatsoever, the book of Deuteronomy shows God's people black and white in a world of gray. It doesn't mince words. It shows us this is it. You're either in or you are out. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Of course, the only way of life in Jesus Christ, the only way for the life of discipleship to work, is to love God with everything we have. The only way to live the Christian life is to go for broke. All your eggs in one basket. Jesus is Lord or he is not. I read these verses and I think, how important is it to remember our commitments? How important is it to remember the promises that we have made? I think we need to think about these things and be reminded of them. And that's why the scriptures are such a gift to us. Because they make clear things that are, 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 we tend to forget or we tend to fudge. And they call us back. What is it that calls you back to sanity? What is it that reminds you that there is a God in heaven? and that he expects something from you? You see, the temptation, we all know the temptations to compromise, to minimize, we just poo-poo our sin, ignore, dismiss those things that we currently do not like. And we don't only do that on a personal level, whole churches do this now. There are some things that Christians for thousands of years who have understood to be sinful, and now suddenly in our day and time, people are saying, no, it's okay. We, underst- we are the completion of love. God wants you to be happy. You can do what you want. So 
I was reading some research. Uh, this is called The State of Theology by Lifeway Research. Just some of the current contemporary issues that Christians are facing, that they have a lot of, there's a lot of churning going on. And people are trying to figure these things out. Because there's a lot of cultural pressure that's coming our way. And we have some decisions to make about this stuff. Before you get up, bent out of shape about the list, I didn't make this list. I'm just presenting it to you. This is Lifeway Research. I got the website link on there. And you can take a look at that yourself. And you can arrive at your own conclusions. But I have a, a couple comments that I want to make about this. The state of theology. And they do this every two years where they measure kind of the pulse on some of these issues. And they're tracking trends about what people are believing. You know, uh, these are responses of evangelical Christians. You'll have to look on their website. I don't even know how they define that exactly. The first question that they ask in their survey, does God learn and adapt to different circumstances? In other words, does what he expects of us, as God grows, that changes? 48% agree. 43% disagree. What about church membership showing up and being a part of a local congregation versus just going your own way as you and your family and we'll figure this out? Um, 68% agree that every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. There's a quarter of Christians out here who don't think that that's important or disagree with it. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. More than half of evangelical Christians agree with this. Jesus was a great teacher but he was not God. 43% of Christians agree with that statement. Wow. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not actually true. A quarter of Christians agree with that statement. Sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. Almost all Christians, kind of interesting finding, recognize this is a problem now, and that it's not a, uh, a sustainable thing for us. Gender identity is a matter of choice. 37% of people who call themselves Christian agree with that statement. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. A quarter of Christians now agree with that. Uh, abortion is a sin. Uh, interesting, 91% uh, of Christians, the, the vast majority, agree that that is true. So here's kind of what I think about these things. It's not about what the majority believes. This isn't a democracy in here where whoever gets the biggest vote is what counts. It's not your personal feelings, your circumstances, your desires, and what makes you happy that matters. God just wants me to be happy. 
therefore I'm justified in doing X, Y, Z. I think, and I need to say this as clearly as I can, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing that matters with this stuff is what God himself says. What does God say? What does God think? What does he call us to? Just look at this list. Does God learn and adapt? Malachi, I think the third chapter says, God does not change. Hebrews 13.5 says, Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Perfection is perfection. We are the ones who change. It's church membership matter. Do not forsake the assembly, as some of you are in the habit of doing, also from Hebrews. God accepts the worship of, of all religions. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except by me. And Acts tells us there's no other name given to, to humanity by which we must be saved, only the name of Jesus. Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heavens and all things were created for him. He sustains all things and he holds all things together. You know, it's so crucial that we grow as a people of the book that we know our scriptures, that we can read about them and think about them. Most of all, I think, I need God's word to combat Calvin's own stinking thinking. It gives me a place to stand. I'm not saying that there's not hermeneutical issues. I'm not saying that, you know, we need to use these things like to just beat people up and drive them out of here. You know, a, a church is a spiritual hospital. It's a spiritual hospital. We are at various stages of understanding and maturity. If you have sin in your life, this is the place you need to be. If you don't do everything perfect, this is the place you need to be. If you've made a collateral mess of things, this is the place you need to be. Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. That keeps me coming back. The challenge I have to face is if I am sick and I come here in need of healing, am I really willing to come to the great physician and give my stuff to him to be challenged by my needs and my brokenness and really want to be healed?
Do I want it? Do I want it? The book of Deuteronomy finds us in our particular world of gray, and it shows us something that's black and white. It forces us to choose. Am I going to do it God's way? Or any other way there is? I think in the end, there's only two choices that are given to us. Uh, There's only two choices in the end. Jesus Christ or everything or anything else. And when you make that decision for Jesus Christ and you go for it with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, everything you have, all of your love, that's when the Christian life becomes easy. That's when the Christian life becomes healing. It's the only way to succeed in keeping the commands of God, embracing God in love and letting the Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Christian life is not hard. It's not hard. You know what makes the Christian life hard? When we love other things more than we really love God. When we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. Then the Christian life is really hard and we're wondering, why is this not working? Deuteronomy shows us black and white in a world of gray. So let's talk some about the, the historical setting of Deuteronomy. So there's this, and this is all a little, little bit subjective. There's different ideas about where Sinai or Mount Horeb are, uh, the, the, the route that they took in the wanderings. There's some like things that we can figure out, but this is so long ago. Uh, there's this generation that came out of the Exodus. They go and they have the receiving of the law and the Mount Sinai moment and the Ten Commandments are given. And then they go and they send spies into the land. And uh, of the spies that they sent in, two said, we can do this. And the majority said, yes, it's a great land, but there be giants there and walled cities that are thick and tall. Their fortifications are, there's no way we can. And so the Lord steps back and then they decide, well, okay, okay. 
if, if our choice is to do that or just wander around or whatever, we'll, we'll go and they try to do it in their own strength without the Lord's help. And, and they, of course, they fail. And then this generation wanders around in the desert wilderness for 40 years, waiting for an entire generation to pass away. And after that generation passes away, they begin to make their way past Edom and Moab, and they begin to fight here on the east side of the Jordan. And Moses writes these books. The Deuteronomy is like a series of sermons. There are aspects of it that are also like a last will and testament. And Moses is here after they've defeated some, they've gained some territory east of the Jordan, and they're ready to enter the land of Canaan and cross the Jordan River. And Moses is not allowed to enter that land with them. And the new generation is going ahead, and he's imparting the last little nuggets of great wisdom that he has to the new generation who's heading on ahead. So Deuteronomy, it's, it's homiletical, these sermons that you find in it. It's a last will and testament, uh, trying to encourage and build up and call the new generation to have a commitment. So Deuteronomy is a book of remembering, but it's also prophetic. You read stuff in Deuteronomy that hasn't happened yet, but anticipates future things to come. It anticipates a time when the Lord will raise up other prophets. It anticipates a time that Israel will choose to have a king, and there will be kings reigning over Israel. It also anticipates future disobedience and the failure of God's people. Moses, he prophesied about a time when God's people would become selfish and fat and hard-hearted and wealthy and comfortable from the blessings of the promised land, and they would forget the Lord their God. Deuteronomy anticipates that future. And it also anticipates a remnant who will turn back and repent and cling to the Lord their God and find salvation in him. So in that sense, Deuteronomy, I think, has a timeless quality, helping God's people to remember, helping God's people to repent, helping God's people to live up the, to the commitments that you have made to the Lord your God. God is a God of justice. God is a God who takes holiness so seriously that it really is a matter of life and death. As Christians saved by grace through Jesus Christ, I think we constantly sin against God by presuming, you know, my sin really isn't that big of a deal because God's just going to forgive me anyway. Paul dealt with that kind of crooked thinking in Romans. Why not just continue to sin that grace may abound? You know, some people are so used to hiding their secret sin, and you put on the good face here, and no one knows the garbage that you've got going on, but you know, and the Lord your God knows, and he sees. 
and maybe you don't even care enough about it to even try to change anymore. Just pretend that it's all okay and it's all fine. Is your real life in a different box or category than your church box and category? Let me put it this way. Do your Sundays translate to your Mondays? If they don't, that's a real problem. That's a real problem. You see, Deuteronomy speaks to us about the terrible cost of sin. We don't, I don't know that we appreciate the cost of sin. We're so seeped in grace that, and we know the story so well and praise God for that because it's the only chance any of us have. But there is a terrible cost associated with sin. And we see that in Deuteronomy. The destruction of cities, the toppling of nations, the death of men, women, and yes, even children. All the way down to the goats and the sheep and the livestock. I find that in looking at the cost of sin and looking at the judgment of God, I have a renewed wonder and appreciation for everything that Jesus accomplishes for me on the cross. Deuteronomy is a book about a writing concerned with commissioning the next generation of God's people. Here, Israel, the decrees and laws I declared in your hearing today, learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors the Lord made this covenant, but with us, who were all, with all of us who are alive here today. There's an interesting thing going on in this verse. Who is Moses talking to? This is after the wilderness wandering on the plains of uh, the east of the Jordan. They're on the brink of entering into the promised land. That's the context of where these words are written. Most of the people that were hearing these words of Deuteronomy, they were born in the wilderness wandering. They weren't even at Sinai. This is, the, at best, they are the children who were at Sinai. But the generation of the adults, they're gone now. They're gone. And the little babies that the parents were worried about protecting, they are now the soldiers and the leaders, the men and women who are leading families and clans. And where their parents faltered, this is the generation now that will succeed. Uh, let's just, I want to try to illustrate this. If you are, say, 49 years old or younger, I'd like you to stand up. 49 years old or younger. 
If you're 50 or older, stay seated. Stay sitting down. You older members of this congregation, look at the future generation and say a little prayer for them now. Because the Lord's church is going to depend on these people. You who are standing, look around at your elders who have passed on the faith to you. Pray for them. Pray for them and thank the Lord for the legacy of faith that is being passed on. Thank you, Lord, for what we have received. You who are standing, are you ready to take the reins? That's an honest answer. Are you ready? There's going to come a point where we're the ones who are going to decide the directions we're heading. All right, you can have a seat. Major themes of Deuteronomy. Obedience. Faithfulness. Remembering the Lord. How important are those themes for the world we live in today? How important are those themes for this church? Ancient Israel was a people gathered together, ready to cross the Jordan and enter into their inheritance. And they're going to start in Jericho. They're, they're poised, waiting to go for it. In the same way, we, the church, are a nation of priests, a called-out people. And we, too, are preparing to cross over and take hold of our inheritance as well, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. In ancient Israel, they take a hold of the promised land through military force. The church, the disciples of Jesus, who are fighting in a very real war ourselves, the war of the Lamb, Our weapons are a little bit different. But our conquest centers on human hearts, the conquest of human hearts through self-sacrificial love. The way that we wage war is by taking up a cross daily and following a hard after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, becoming more like him. And the more we become like Jesus, the more his thoughts become our thoughts, and the more the Holy Spirit refines in us, the more powerful we become to do the works of God and to be a great help and a great light in this world. At the end of his life, Moses, knowing that his time is short, he offers his final words to the next generation, the new generation of God's people. These are the people 
that are going to go on ahead of him without him. He would like to join them, but he's not allowed to. So a question I have is this. What would your farewell words be to your children in the next generation? What's your, what's your final speech? One thing I love about art and music is that sometimes a picture really does say a thousand words. Sometimes a song will push a truth through to me in a way that a whole bunch of sermons never can. I hate to say that because I'm a preacher, but it's true. Now, art is highly subjective, but sometimes its impact is really broad. And uh, that's the case in this following painting I want you to take a look at. Uh, This painting is called Breaking Home Ties. And it depicts an older generation sending off a younger generation. Uh, This painting, Breaking Home Ties, it first appeared on September 25th of 1954 on the cover of a publication called the Saturday Evening Post. It was painted by a man named Norman Rockwell, and it's been one of the most reproduced paintings that he's ever, ever done. It captured the soul of this country. It's a painting that tells a story. A boy from New Mexico is leaving home for the first time, going off to college. The painting is considered by many experts to be Norman Rockwell's master, one of his masterworks. And it was his, one, uh, his most widely reproduced. You can see a little ticket protruding from train ticket and a little bit of a train track down there from the son's pocket. He's got a brand new uh, suitcase that you can see State University written on that little flag. Uh, The son's tie and socks, they match perfectly. He's obviously been thinking about this day where he gets to launch off into his bright future. his press trousers, his white jacket. He's ready to have his turn and go after life. His shoes are shined to a point where they positively gleam. And the sun, you see the look on his face. It's a look of anticipation and excitement looking to the future. The family dog is resting his head on the son's lap. He's sad to see the boy go. You know, we have a little dog, a little Shih Tzu Chai. Whenever we take suitcases out, she knows something's up, and she gets real mopey. You see the dad, though? The dad is 
feeling the opposite of the sun. He's looking in the opposite direction of the sun. You can see he's visibly slumped. He's not only holding his hat, he's holding his son's hat. He's got an unlit cigarette dangling from his lip, an unlit match he's holding in his hand. You probably can't see it, the detail. And the father's gaze is in the other direction than the son. You know, maybe he's looking back at the family homestead, thinking about what it's going to be like when his son's not a part of that anymore. The father, he's got nothing left to do except wait to that dreaded and imminent moment of the, of the arrival of the train that will carry his son away. It's funny how I rediscovered this sermon. I always thought of myself as this guy. And this is the first time I've thought of myself as that guy. Except I don't smoke. I identify more with that father now than with that son. So I was looking at this painting and I thought, this somehow portrays the passing of a mantle from one generation onto the new generation. And I'm thinking of the way Moses passes on the mantle of leadership from himself to Joshua. This is the Exodus generation, the ones who came out of Egypt, the ones who received the Ten Commandments. They're now sitting down, they're all gone, and this is the, wil- the last of them are left with the wilderness generation who's about to enter the promised land. So what are Moses' words to the final generation? And we're going to talk about this more, but the book of Deuteronomy, it is a blueprint for what godly leadership looks like. And his last words that he comes up, he's talking about two things uh, in chapter 30. The first one is encouragement. Encouragement and clarity. Encouragement. Do we build up the young people among us? Do we give them opportunities to try? Are we giving them opportunities to lead and share their ideas? Or do we squelch that? We don't always get it right. But we need to offer encouraging words to the generations who are coming behind us. As you get older, your role in encouragement is that much more important. Not a role in complaining, not a role in policing, a role in encouragement. Moses, he encourages the new generation. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea. 
so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No. The word is very near you. The word is in your mouth and in your heart that you may obey it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's encouraging the new generation. This is not too hard for you. And then he goes on to bring clarity. To bring clarity. There really are only two choices for us. Jesus or anything else. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. I have set before you blessings and curses. Now choose life. Now choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord, for the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. That's Moses' parting shot. That's the treasure he gives to the next generation. Rob, you can come up. That's the sermon for today. I'm so excited to dig into this ancient book uh, together as a church to find everything the Lord wants to share with us. I'm learning a lot. I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this. You know, each one of us, every person from every generation is going to have a choice to make. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? Are you going to choose blessings or are you going to choose curses? Do you love Jesus more than anything else? Do you listen to his voice? Has the voice of Jesus Christ become your life? Do you hold fast to him? We always offer an invitation uh, in this church. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. If you want to make the Lord uh, the Lord of your life, we always offer, offer an opportunity to be baptized into the story of God's people and become a part of that and born again into it. And uh, we always invite people to come forward and if they need to share with the congregation, uh, if you need the prayers of this church, you can find me up front over here, and you can come share those with me. Uh, 
anything that we can do to help you, we'll give you an opportunity uh, now that you can come forward while we start singing our invitation song together. All right, if we can all stand for our song.